Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder. Transforming the lives of impoverished Wacoans has been the driving passion of Dr. Jimmy Dorrell. He embodies the call to put hands and feet to the gospel of Jesus Christ, truly walking and living by the words he speaks and believes. And it is my great honor to call Jimmy Dorrell a friend and welcome him to Central Texas Living, the podcast. It is great to see you again and be here uh, on this show. I was so excited to see that it's still going. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You you're retired. Yes. So, Semi. and I'm retired. Semi-retired. Both of us. Yes. <laughs> so, so life is, life is good. Yes. Very good. We, we have the plan now to, Janet's still working. And so uh, we do work around her hours a little bit, but uh, I can take off for the week and go see the grandkids in Galveston, or I can go play tennis or table tennis. And uh, we've got a lot of freedom, but at the same time, we've got very important responsibilities that we're a part of. Okay. Well, let's, let's go back in time. You and Janet, young, married. Or even before that, I mean, you were a youth minister at Highland Baptist Church in Waco. That's kind of a, you know, North Waco and impoverished area. Uh, What was it that that led you to really invest your life? I mean, totally invest your lives in in this community. I'd say three things uh, were mostly pivotal. One was when I came to Baylor, I was your typical kind of Baylor kid, but I became the youth director. And part of my, I grew up in that world that was very, segregated by black and whites and so Waco was still in that and uh, I was struggling with it because I knew it wasn't right and yet uh, as I saw the poverty in Waco, uh, Waco's poverty rate still is uh, way above most. Most people have 13.3 percent. Waco's is 28.7 and so um, I knew that was there but I was out working with the kids and then had a call one day by from Dewey Pinckney. Pinckney was, oh, I remember, very, yeah. Pinckney oh, yeah. was pastor of a church in no man's land. And most people never heard of no man's land. It was this little pocket of poverty between Waco and Belmead that nobody wanted. The poverty was so overwhelming. And there was crime there. I remember uh, reporting it, a lot of stories from was, no man's yeah, land. Yeah, there was yeah. no police over there and the infrastructure bad. I remember and Pinckney was at, um, uh, also head of the NAACP and, and pastored St. Mary's Baptist Church as a white kid. I didn't know you could have a St. Mary's Baptist <laughs> Church. And uh, so I remember uh, walking around with him that day and seeing, there was a house in particular, all of them were in bad shape, but this particular one was leaning, tree growing through the front porch. And uh, I said, can I look in? And he said, yeah. And I pushed the door open and a man screamed who was living in there, 
no utilities. Rats and roaches ran everywhere as soon as I opened the door. And uh, he screamed because he couldn't see me because he was also blind. Oh, my goodness. And I thought, here I am two miles from Baylor, living in a city that, that doesn't even know this kind of poverty exists. And it was very traumatizing in a good way. Um, and I began to struggle deeply about my own racism and past cultural racism, especially. And then uh, um, finished up youth directing. We went over there, by the way, for years. And then uh, then became the recreation director at the old state home. And the state home was transformative. It was a hard place. These were kids taken away from their parents because of child abuse and neglect. And I remember uh, first day on the job trying to find the gym. I was supposed to open it up and couldn't find it. Stopped to talk to a house parent who was getting onto this six-year-old kid named Moki. And uh, Moki turned and cussed me out. And I thought, how can it be that a kid that young not only knows the words, but would say them to a person he didn't even know? And I'll remember how hard that first week was. I mean, these are kids that have been again, abused and, and neglected and exploited. And and um, and so they weren't really excited that an adult was there to open the gym. But uh, it was hard. And I stopped fights and I got in all kinds. And I remember having this long talk with God that Friday night after that first week of work and trying to remind God how important I was that I had a Sunday school pen and I had been a youth director all <laughs> these years. And uh, uh didn't seem to impact him because uh, I kept hearing, go back and love those kids. And so I went back the next Monday Kids were still the same, but uh, spent the next three years uh, learning to love kids who externally could not love themselves uh, because of all the abuse and neglect. And then uh, fast forward, went to uh, seminary, worked inner city while I went to seminary, but then uh, went to work in Houston after that. And Janet and I, after three or four years working in a middle class neighborhood in Houston, knew we'd been called to the poor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we said, you know what, we got to do this. We had a one-year-old child, sold our house there in Houston, uh, made enough money to buy tickets around the world. And uh, Pan Am was still flying back then, had these round the world tickets. And so we put our kid on our back and for the next six months traveled the world and uh, didn't have an itinerary and went to Europe. Of course, the wall was still up and we smuggled Bibles in on the east, the, the block on the eastern side, and we um, kind of dangerous work. Yeah, but but we, I mean, it wasn't just it was just one visit, but went all around the world, worked in Nepal for a little while in different places, and ended up in India. Got to meet Mother Teresa. I wanted to talk to you yeah. about that. I had read this part of your yeah. story, and uh, I think a lot of people may not realize that you had that. Yeah, it was tremendous so privilege went, to meet her. Went to uh, Calcutta at the end of our trip, uh, and uh, we. I went over to find her in the uh, red light district area where they worked, and uh, there was a place called Kaligat. It was a home for the dying, a place where they bring the Sisters of Charity would bring in these um, men and women who were in their last days or hours of, of uh, life, uh, and they had 100 beds, and if that night 10 people died, they'd go to the train stations the next day and get the beggars that were almost dead and bring them back. So we washed clothes and did different things, and we worked in the leper slums with her a little bit. There was a, a pretty overwhelming reality there. And we were, you know, really about four and a half, five months by then. We just were overwhelmed, uh, again, with a child and uh, thought, what are we going to do with our lives? How do we go back today when 21,000 children are dying in our world from hunger-related causes? I can't just act like it's not going to be there when I go back to middle-class America. So when we got back, uh, we decided that we would live in a— uh, mixed income or mostly poor neighborhood, to be honest. And and so Waco, like most cities, had um, isolated around the racial issues. Mostly the old North Waco area had been a middle-class white neighborhood exclusively 
in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And then uh, as the blacks who began to move across the river in the 60s, um, the white flight happened to the suburbs and uh, the business community went with them. And so that old area of North Waco or where Mission Waco really is there on 15th and Concord uh, had flipped as well. So what used to be the old um uh, Texas theater mm-hmm. now had become the Capri porno theater. Oh yeah. Uh, we had, there were bars all over the place, the Martha Jane's liquor store, all kinds of tough issues there. Crime was high. And we bought a house about six blocks down the street. Uh, I bought a very large house, 4,000 square foot house for only $12,000. Something kind of a fixer upper. It huh? was more than a fixer upper. <laughs> it was uh, uh, rats and roaches. There was a lady that would live in it, but, but these slumlords would buy these old houses and cram people in them. And uh, one place had a, um, two mentally ill guys from the VA, the other upstairs, a kid had made the trashed out the place. And then this one lady had 40 cats in a one bedroom oh. apartment. And so, uh, we bought the house. My father-in-law, by the way, was not excited about our trip, nor where we <laughs> bought the house. And I don't blame him. He spent his whole life running to raise enough money. So his child could go to Baylor. And, yeah. and so we understood all that, but, sure. but basically, um, we became friends with the neighborhood. We didn't go down to fix people. We didn't go. To, I had another job as a grant writer for campfire back then. And, at the same time, I we knew that the, the best way is not to go over with an agenda, but just build friendships. And Janet's excellent at that. And so we knew everybody in the neighborhood within the year and built a basketball court at my house. I have a full court at my house. Kids begin to come play. And then uh, we made it into the, the full court the second year. And uh, Mama came with them, and we started a Mama's group. We started children and teen groups. And Mitch and Waco basically grew up. Uh, in a normal, organic way, just next thing. And so the mamas would say to Janet, hey, my husband needs a job. And and uh, so she, we would create a job training. This is, by the way, all before Google. So we, had to, mm-hmm. we didn't know what we were doing. And uh, then they'd say, my uncle is on crack. Can you help him? And no money. And so we figured out a way to have a residential treatment for um, the man who's still going on today. Manor House is one of our favorite places. We see more transformation there than probably any other program we've done. And everything that kept going, and as well, we started redoing the buildings. The old uh, theater in that area had been shut down by the city for four years, and we finally had enough courage to go down to this tough neighborhood corner and ask the owner, would he give us, make us a deal? And he said, no, here. And he signed the deed and handed it to us. So we, all wow. we had five buildings tagged by the city <laughs> sitting in water. And I thought, what have we done? We have, we have a saying, there's a <laughs> no real, real fine line between faith and stupid. And we thought, well, this may be on the stupid side. And and uh, But that became now what is Jubilee Center yes. and the theater. The, been there to all, shows, all, yeah. All, all those, yeah. So it was just been so fun. So once we began to work and we get neighborhood people to help us. And, and uh, so through the years, um, the work of Mission Waco just kept expanding. And today there's about 80 staff and 16 programs and homeless shelters and clinics and all that stuff. But uh, it has just been uh, so fun to see kids that were playing on my basketball court at five years old. Now at 35, uh, work for Mission Waco. Yeah. You know, we've had this uh, transformation of neighborhood and it's a very blended neighborhood now, black, white, brown. And uh, one of our joys lately has been to take that old liquor store and redo it into an economic store. And we have Aztecas, uh, uh, the Mexican ice cream place there that has got a crowd every night. Mm-hmm. And now he's just rented the next two buildings in the same place that we renovated uh, for other things. So, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to watch the transformation and it's, it's a great place to be. And, and we still 
connect to the world and we still do some things. So I'm, I'm free now just to kind of enjoy it than to have to get up and realize how much I had to do. Well, what you described is what you believe, that if the poor and the marginalized are empowered, the whole city yes. truly prospers. Yeah. And what we've seen, talk about flipping. Yep. It's flipped, flipping back to an area you want to go to. You want to go to yeah. the cafe. Yeah. You, you know, these are places no, we, that we, folks would never even drive through. And we have wow. a, a we have a strong mixed income neighborhood. We have people from Woodway come and have coffee and um, breakfast on Saturday mornings, packed to the walls. And you know, it's just been fun. Uh, particularly the grocery store. Just take a second, if you don't mind. We one of our biggest issues in our neighborhood was after the old Safeway closed up years mm-hmm. ago, and uh, it became a convenience store. Convenience stores typically are predatory. They sell day old bread for more than fresh bread, and the people had to uh, walk 2.2 miles to the closest store, OHEB on North 19th, and uh, and so. Uh, they kept saying for years, please help us find a place to buy affordable and healthy food. We're tired of buying the junk food or walking two and a half miles. And so we heard that for years. And because we worked from out, so we tried to buy that old convenience store. He wouldn't sell for years. And finally the roof caved in on part of the one end and called me and said, let's make a deal. Uh, <laughs> Got to get in just the right we, shape yeah, for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we worked that out. And then uh, the, uh, uh, first thing we did is what we do. We brought the neighborhood together. And yeah. so 65 neighborhood folks showed up and we sat there in that old raggedy store and uh, talked for two hours about what they wished it was. And they affirmed by vote. There were 12 issues on the table. They voted and 77% wanted a, a, a grocery store that would be healthy and affordable. So grocery stores don't stay in inner, inner cities. It's a huge problem. That's why we call them food deserts. And they're all over. It's the number one problem that Department of Agriculture has now said, because people can't get to the stores. They have to walk or ride buses to get to grocery stores. They don't have much money. And uh, and so we said, we, uh, we were with you. We want to do this. But I was speaking at a big church in Dallas the next week and told them what we'd done. Thought, I don't know if we can do this because profit margin is so small. We don't want to take Mission Waco down by trying to do this project. Two guys walked up. One was had been working for Kroger's uh, for 40 years and had just retired. A friend of his builds all the Kroger's in North Dallas and said, hey, can we come down and meet with you and see if we can help? Wow. <laughs> Heck yeah, we can. Uh-huh. And so they came and we ended up putting a team of together. We called them the dream team. And we met for about six months about what it would take, how much money we'd have to raise, how much. And this community got in there by the uh, blessings of God. We had a good relationship in the community. The newspaper was very kind to us. And we were able to tell the story of what a food desert was and uh, raised about $700,000. And then we had to gut it and put all the stuff in. And we did that. And uh, people started showing up. And today, we'll, I mean, actually next week, we'll celebrate four years. Has it been four years? It has. And, uh, oh, we're, yeah. That's great. And by the way, the, part, the community is supposed to shop there too. The, most of the mm-hmm. neighborhoods spend about $9 when they come, but uh, we need $50 people. And so mm-hmm. by research, if, if a person will go one out of 16 times, instead of the big store where they go to over to the grocery store, that makes means they'll spend 50 or or $100. That keeps us alive because the margins are so small. But mm-hmm. we've had people from Houston City Council, from Dallas, from Fort Worth, from Austin, come to study our store because they're trying to do the same in their city because there's just not stores in urban centers anymore. So uh, that's why we do what we do. Uh, that's why we talk about how, how does a community – empower the poor and be a part of it. So it's not just giving money. It's uh, shopping in a grocery store is a blessing to us. How these things, these missions and ministries that have have kind of sprouted up 
uh, organically. You also, speaking of sprouting, growing food. Yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did that all well, come about, other than you need produce for your yeah, for we, Jubilee Market? Urban REAP is our, uh, it's REAP stands for Renewable Energy and Agriculture Project, uh, is next door to the grocery store. And we sell basil and we grow, aquaponics is a little different than hydroponics, mm-hmm. so we grow everything in the water. Uh, Jan and I had worked in Haiti and lived over there for several months, and we'd seen the devastation of uh, all kind of environmental concerns that just the kids were getting sick. And and so uh, I did a master's degree in environmental studies. Janet did, too. One of my sons did, too. So we had this bent toward how do we use this for what we call creation care? How do we, as Christians, become better stewards of God's good earth? Because we we're Quite honestly, the research shows we're not any better than the non-Christians. And and so we thought, that's just right. We've got to do that. So I'd always wanted to do something. We didn't think it would happen. But while we were finishing up the grocery store, uh, there was a grant that came through. Um, and um, I wrote uh, to Green Mountain Energy uh, this grant asking for the aquaponics greenhouse that I'd seen in Indiana. And uh, they wrote back a few months, a few weeks or months later and said, we love your idea, but we want you to ask for more. Well, I've been writing grants a long time. Nobody's ever asked me to <laughs> make it more, Make it bigger. <laughs> make it bigger. And so I went to find some of my environmental friends, and we worked on it and ended up putting in the aquaponics system. Uh, we have uh, a 36 panels of solar. We have uh, rainwater catchment in there. And we also have a composter that came out of China that will do 167 pounds of organic food that we throw in the, the garbage every day uh, into a beautiful compost in 24 hours. Mm. It's amazing. So the Asian culture has been way ahead of us. I mean, that's not surprising to some people, but we're still throwing it in the dump and landfills. And uh, so we have now a way to teach creation care. We have children and groups that come through all the time. We're open most every day and uh, have a program director who really understands this stuff. So we we're training people how to be better stewards and how to uh, do environmentally friendly things that help our earth and help uh, sustain life. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're a prolific writer, too, written several books. Commonwealth is the newest one out just a couple of months, right? Yeah, just a few weeks. Let's talk about this transformation through Christian community development. And this sort of dovetails in a way to a, an announcement that's very recent about a, a new program at through Truett. Yeah. Yeah. That folks can do. Let's let's talk about all that. All right. Well, first of all, the the um, model that we'd used was called Christian community development. For a lot of people, those are just words, but there really is a, a principles and ways of doing things like incarnational, being able to empower poor. Uh, we ran into a group five years after we moved into our urban center um, in our house. 
that was called CCDA, Christian Community Development Association. And we went to a conference in Chicago and found that these were our best friends. They, they did the same thing we did. Their city kid, their kids uh, went to urban schools. They were fun, uh, but they cared deeply for their neighborhood people. And, and so we learned a lot from them, shared ideas through the years, got on the board of directors. And so we have used the, the principles of Christian community development for all these years. Uh, the programs we do, good, you know, the, the programs like the uh, grocery store and the toy store and things like uh, women's programs are all done with that model, and it, it just changes the way people look at things. So, I mean, again, we're in that time of year where people want to take turkeys and toys to poor kids. That's not wrong. We, have, we love the compassion people have, but sometimes they never think about how does it feel to be the father uh, when you show up on their porch and the father thinks, I can't t- take care of my own kids, and now I have to kind of humble myself and appreciate. So we have ways, like our toy store, where people can be involved in their own kids' lives. So that model became deep in us. And um, so the story of that you are talking about in the book, um, Commonwealth means we're all blessed differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us have money. Some of us have had the nice neighborhood and all the privilege. And some of our kids have had everything they ever wanted. And there's a whole bunch of kids on the other side of town who, you know, didn't eat today and who struggle. And and so I know both worlds. I've lived in both worlds. And so the privilege I have is that I can bring something together on these two groups. We do another side of Waco tour where we teach uh, middle-class people how to see the whole city, not just their city. And um, through that, we uh, learned not only the principles, but some ways of telling our story. And uh, this book is certainly personal, but it is also uh, transformative about how you do things. The principles by which you help other people has got to be done in ways that empower, not just uh, relief agencies. And fortunately, there's books like uh, When Helping Hurts and other books out there today that have really helped churches understand that just giving handouts doesn't do much change. And uh, so we understand that, and we can help churches and other people get that. And uh, and then as a part of that, uh, there's biblical theology behind it. There's uh, the way uh, Jesus dealt with people and the way that, uh, the, you know, the irony of the story, the dichotomy between here's the rich young ruler who did everything right and was wealthy and Jesus says, go and give it away, and he can't do it. It's too, he sad, sadly walks off. And then there's the tax collector that he grabs, the short guy named Zacchaeus, and he goes to his home, and Zacchaeus is transformed and gives half his money away. Mm-hmm. There's this reality that sometimes the way we look at spiritual things is not the way the kingdom does, that it is losing your life. It is the joy of, of generosity, the joy of what we get to do. So life is fun for us. I don't envy the rich on the other side of town. I'm, I wish they could understand. Yeah. Um, we have this weekend called the poverty simulation. Yeah. I want to talk about yeah. that because, because you had thousands of people yes. go through this. Yes. Yeah. We, we've had 25,000 people go through this. My goodness. People come from all over America to Mission Waco to be poor from Friday night through Sunday afternoon. They pay $75 to be poor. We love, we like that too. And uh, we got to cover costs. That's right. <laughs> and, and so uh, we don't tell folks what they're going to come to the, all that's on our website at Mission mm-hmm. Waco. But uh, these groups come in and from eighth grade on up, uh, we've had a 96 year old go through it as well. Uh, they spend one weekend, not only feeling poverty, but understanding it more. And so it's been a transformative weekend. I, the classes we do at Baylor, they still go through that as part of the, the engagement community engagement classes we do. And so all these principles and the theology and the practitioner stuff that we do 
uh, we're, we're in the book, and that's really why I wrote it. I, I, I wrote a book earlier called Trolls and Truth. We call mm-hmm. ourselves Trolls Under the Bridge. Trolls is about church under the bridge and the way we do that, similar model. But what I've learned about God from the poor, not for the poor, but from the poor. And then this book is about Mission Waco and the, the theology behind that. And because I am privileged to get to teach community development classes at Truett, and uh, also um, we have uh, other ways that we teach. Uh, I teach a couple of classes in other places. Uh, we are able to do this intensive academic thing, but then Truett, uh, trying to be, you know, on the cutting edge, says, you know what, uh, everybody's not academically oriented. They, they don't need to go three years to a seminary to, to mm-hmm. get some stuff. And so they created a certificate program a few years ago that has exploded. And so people now that don't have, maybe they have a high school diploma or whatever they have, and they want to learn more about theology and about church history, et cetera. There's that piece, but then there's the specialization. So I am now teaching uh, a new class on Christian community development, and you can get a four-class uh, group of in just about community development, or you can also add the other six classes that give you some deeper understanding of biblical theology. So it's just a great model, and you don't get a Master of Divinity at the end. You just get a certificate. But it is, I've got two friends, two of our staff, actually, that are finishing it up, and it has been life-changing for them. And so, they work yeah, They, they work, work there. It's not like they don't they, they, know what you do well, and, and what that, it's that, about. Yeah, that's know? it. A lot of people are doing work. They're just doing it ways that they could do better if they understood some of the mm-hmm. principles behind community development. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Church Under the Bridge. <laughs> There is so much, there is so much that, that you've done um, and how you've blessed this community. Uh, Church Under the Bridge, how did all that start and what's the status of it? I yeah. know you're you're undergoing renovations right now. We, uh, Jane and I were eating breakfast one Friday morning at Taco Cabana across from the interstate near Baylor. And uh, we looked over and saw all the homeless folks sleeping under the bridge and yeah. thought, you know what, let's just go over and invite them over here to eat. I'll pay for breakfast if they'll give me their story and tell me why they aren't working or what kind of issues at home they had that ended up, made them end up uh, at uh, on the streets. And so they came and we had this great two-hour conversation and they said, hey, let's do it next week. And of course, I bought breakfast, so that wasn't a hard one. But but they came and, and they brought more and we had a great conversation each time. The third time, breakfast cost about $250. <laughs> And I, I can't Word do this. was out. <laughs> yeah. And so we created the Friday morning breakfast out of that that we did. We've still mm-hmm. done for 25 years. Yeah. But the other side of it was we. they said to me, hey, uh, why don't you come over under our bridge where we live and do a Bible study? So Janet sings and plays the guitar. So the next Sunday we went over and put up chairs and five folks sat in those chairs. And we had this little Bible study and Janet sang. And it was so fun. It's so loud. The overhead traffic's just a mess and big old 18 wheelers and and uh, they said, come back next week. And so we came, and, and then uh, the third week. And so this little ragtag bunch of folks began to grow, and all of a sudden community pe- people would begin to show up. And then a Baylor kid or two would walk across the street. And uh, before COVID, we were running almost 300 people, blacks mm-hmm. and whites and browns and rich people and poor people, uh, Baylor kids six, sitting down next to folks that had just gotten out of county jail or had schizophrenia. And it, this crazy mix of people that for us is what the kingdom of God is about, mm-hmm. uh, that that kingdom come that will be done where? Not just in heaven, but on earth, that we're supposed to be practicing the kingdom now. So learning how to love people across differences, whether it be racial or economic or mental. And so uh, 
it was so fun and just we're not normal. I mean, if you're looking for a traditional church, do not come to our church. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't necessarily have a children's. <laughs> no, no. Well, we actually have a children. I'm a, sure you have children. Children that they well, we come. A, we have a trader that they go. Okay, into. so somebody takes care. Of, well, good. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah but yeah, not yeah. necessarily a choir and the choir rubs and yeah, the orchestra. No, 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 yeah. no, no. We're just, we're, we give them clothes when they get there. So yeah, there, there's um, it's this real mix of. In fact, we have a, a one of our primary band members is a mentally ill man who plays like he plays a guitar, but he doesn't really. And he's been doing that for uh, 10 years now and uh, out of a mental uh, health uh, home. And uh, it's just, it's so, it's, you don't, you just see, mm-hmm. and, and it, we're not slick. We're just who we are. And right. so there's a, a genuineness about it. There's a spiritual vulnerability. Like, you know, we got folks who've done some tough stuff, but then I was the Pharisee. And when Jesus got in the people's face, he got into people's face like me more than he got into the face of the, the adulterer. And so we have to keep reminding ourselves that we're all in the same place and don't call me Reverend. I'm just Jimmy. And uh, we live in this common world now for 28 years. So about a year and a half ago, um, we got word from TextDot that they were going to build the bridge and do the interstate six miles through Waco and that we would have to move for a time. And so we began to look around and weren't sure what we do. Somebody wrote an article, the Trib, and said, uh, uh, homeless church is about to be homeless. And uh, so we thought, okay, we're not, what are we going to do? Find, and sure enough, Chip and Joanna called yeah. and said, hey, we're closed on Sundays. You're five blocks away. Come over here. And so we moved over to the silos. It was a really fun day. It was a cold day in March. And uh, we got a little junior high band from, I think, Woodway. And uh, we played When the Saints Go Marching In from one place to the next and <laughs> just had this so such a fun first day. And, uh, and so we've been there now every week except for five weeks during the COVID crisis where we fed the homeless and poor on the streets. You never uh, stopped. Never stopped. And, and we've, never, we've never had anybody get sick because of it yeah. either. I mean, that's, that's the irony of it all that we – and I'm not – downplaying the importance of we, we we mask we distance we do all the stuff the guidelines say to do but by the grace of god we've not had anybody get sick and uh we asked we did ask our folks who had secondary issues not to come mm-hmm. so we have people that still have not come back so we're probably about half what we were and of course we have a lot of visitors that want to come in and see what it's like and and experience it and but it, there's a genuineness about it a realness about it and so we Half our budget we give away. Uh, we have a little bitty budget, but we give $750 a month to Mexico City, to the orphans and to the homeless down there that we work with. And we give local nonprofits money. So there's, it's not just the mix of people. It's our theology and our methodology about how we work that I think has become so fun for me. And we just, just, just enjoy life together. So you'll be going back under the bridge yes. at some point, huh? Uh, you, the taxpayers, are paying for my <laughs> new $341 million bridge sanctuary that's supposed to be ready in about another 18 months. Hopefully it'll be then or sooner. But uh, we, we laugh all the time. We go over and take pictures of it to show our uh, church body what's what's going on over there and, and uh, try to get them to uh, get excited about it. So, but yes, we will definitely go back. It's going to look nicer and be nicer than it was when we left. So we're excited about it. <laughs> That's good. And we're not paying a dime for it. Uh, isn't it amazing? <laughs> That's great. It's all been being mm-hmm. provided. Mm-hmm. Um, I know over the years, I mean, you say 27,000 people have come through your poverty simulation. I know there've been remarkable folks who've had dramatic changes in their lives. Are there any that just come to mind? Well, you want to tell them about yeah, that? Yeah, one of them you may know now. You wouldn't have known until a few months ago. Uh, Stevie Walker-Webb, I don't know if you saw the paper, a newspaper story. Stevie was an 11-year-old kid that came to Mission Waco uh, from the neighborhood, African-American kid, had uh, mostly poverty, and 
came over to our children's program, then got in our youth program. Just so talented, such a talented kid. And he he stayed with us through the years. And then at the end of his uh, senior year, called me and said, can you help me go to college? And I said, well, yeah, we'll, we'll do the best we can. We've got a little small amount of money that somebody gave us to help students like you. And uh, you get the Pell Grants and all the rest, and we'll see what we can do. And sure enough, we got him into North Texas. And he did a degree in sociology and fine arts. Mm. And called me at the end of his fourth year, said, uh, can you help me get my master's in fine arts? I'm loving uh, all this stuff with the theater. And I said, no, we can't do that, but I will hire you to be our first theater director. So Stevie came back to the Jubilee Theater. We couldn't afford it until then, anybody to be the director. He came in and stayed for three years. It was the most amazing transformation. This kid had written plays. He w- We would do Broadway plays like Fences with neighborhood folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, just amazing. People came from all over Waco to see it. And then at the end of uh, th- those three years, he called and he said, I just got my dream, the um, best drama school in the nation has offered me a scholarship. Said there were 1,200 people that applied for three scholarships, and I got one of those three. Wow. So here's a neighborhood kid that mm. nobody sees, just an average kid that's in every neighborhood in America. And uh, we had the privilege to be a part of that. He went and got his Master's of Fine Arts and is now directing plays on Broadway and off-Broadway. Mm. I mean, it's, it, he's won an Obie Award already. He's, and, uh, but the story is that, uh, that some of you may know him by is that his brother uh, has – serious schizophrenia. And so he had uh, have had episodes. We, we knew his brother. They call him uh, Wade. Uh, he, we know him f- through our programs. He was in there too. But uh, Stevie was off in New York. His mom and dad were dealing with this child that had these severe outbreaks. And anytime he did, he was kind of uncontrollable, and the police would come if they'd call him uh, to get help. But the last time that they called, he was so, so out of control, they couldn't... The, getting sedated enough and so they put him in county jail well if you're not aware of what's going on in america unfortunately particularly in texas uh, we're number 49 out of 50 states in terms of really having funds to help the mentally ill Mm -hmm. and so what happens in more cases than not they have no place to take them they put them in county jail and they live in isolation in in a segregated unit uh so 23 hours a day with nobody around one hour of of uh, freedom. And so Stevie's heart was breaking. His mom and dad were, of course, broken and didn't know what to do. And so finally he was able, because of COVID, to come home for a while. And of course, it was already overwhelmed by it. His brother stayed in uh, county jail for about 154 days. And um, he said, I can't just do this. So he's so creative. So he went out to the um, county jail with their permission and built a prison cell, a little fenced in cell just on the outside fence of, of um, the, the local county jail. And um, then he put on a uniform, a little bed that they sleep in. And, of course, he had friends in high places now in New York. So they came down, and for 24 hours he lived in the cell, Facebook Live, uh, where people could watch him and the, the reality of what his brothers living 150-something days. He now is doing just one day, but people began to donate to help his brother get into some care. His brother was still in another several weeks and then um, got into the Austin State Hospital, I think, for a while, but it, it won't last long there. And, again, there's just so few places for them. But, but Stevie is one of those kids that not only has done well in terms of his giftedness and his talent, but his justice. He, he understands mm-hmm. that we, particularly those blessed by God, we need to fight for things that are right, and he does that in exceptional ways. 
What a story. What a story. Commonwealth, Transformation Through Christian Community Development. This is this book is available how? Well, uh, Amazon is the mm-hmm. easiest way. Uh, Baylor, actually, Baylor, Baylor Press uh, wrote it, uh, sort of published it, and there is a discount. If you, you want to get you a code, I'll give you a uh, 20% discount. And then um, if uh, you can't do any other way, you go to the Baylor Bookstore because they have copies now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Book, be great for book clubs, whatever. Yeah. Um, also, the new program at Baylor, if you're interested in uh, the Truett Seminary uh, Certificate yes. on Community Development. Just uh, go to the website and put uh, Truett Seminary Certificate Program, and it'll come up among one among probably six or seven different courses now that they do that way. Well, Jimmy, I like to end these visits with a questionnaire similar to the one the late, great James Lipton would do on Inside the Actor's Studio. You're shaking your head. You're right. What's your favorite word? Uh, empowerment. It, it just fits who we are and what we believe that all of God's creation was created to be. Uh, imago Dei is the fancy word made in the image of God that we are to move toward our full potential by being empowered. Your least favorite word? Um pity, um, that we feel sorry for people because we don't, we think that's what compassion is. The word compassion really means, uh, to enter the pain. It means two Latin words, I move out of my place of safety and security, my nice home, my security, all these things that I built around myself. And I get up and I enter the pain. And when you move out of your circle into the pain of the real world, uh, it begins to transform you in a good way. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, this may be sound like a dumbing it down. I love um, playing table tennis with my buddies. <laughs> I know. I, I, You're I getting mean, ready to go as soon I, as we wrap this up. I've been playing You're ready to play. 50-something years down in the basement <laughs> of the center and a bunch of guys from around the world that we all play table tennis.